You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here is your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I'm Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Mary Kitzmiller from Kemp, Texas. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for September 7th, episode 3260. Good morning, Horse World. Welcome back, Mary. Mary comes here once a month to Horses in the Morning, usually on the first Thursday, but you know, it changes sometimes. What have you been up to lately, girlfriend? Oh, just enjoying the 100 billion degree Texas weather. Um, <laughs> and the, the perfect thing drops. to be doing in 100 bazillion degrees uh, weather is knitting a lot. I saw a post on your Facebook page. You knitted a saddle pad. What possessed you to do that? Um, well, I'm insane and I do not have enough craft hobbies, so I have to take on more and more. But yeah, I've been hyper-focused on knitting lately. I took it up uh, like last year and um, I have been wanting to make a blanket forever, so much so that I seriously looked into getting a loom and weaving my own, but that's uh, a whole nother hobby and hundreds of dollars and I decided to be practical. So I looked into a knitting pattern for a Western style saddle blanket. Um, and I started making saddle blankets, which has been really fun and something useful and different and cool. Um, so I've been doing that and then also sipping piping hot pumpkin spice lattes in the 95 degree Texas weather, because when it's 95 degrees here, it's like brisk fall weather. Oh my gosh. We <laughs> had a whole bunch of days over 100 degrees. So 95 is like a reprieve. Ooh, cooling trend. That's funny. So you made one. Now, is it is the piece you knitted attached to something else, or is it just everything knitted and that's what goes with the horse? It's all knitted one piece and the, and it's a blanket. So it's like uh, my show blankets that I have in that you put, I have a wool, a very thick wool pad that goes on the horse. Then the blanket goes over the pad and then that goes under the saddle. So it's, it's mostly decorative. Um, oh, okay. That yeah, makes you don't sense. Don't use it by itself. You might be able to use it under an English saddle, um, but yeah, so all of the woven pads that I have that I show in, that's that's the setup is you put the big, thick, comfy wool pad and then the thing, the blanket and then the saddle. Got it. Okay, so <clears throat> for the uninitiated, a modern English saddle has between your butt and the horse panels that are flocked or either traditional or modern, but there's there's padding in there. Versus a Western saddle, the only thing between your butt and the horse is mostly pretty much just leather and the tree, which is made out of um, something hard like fiberglass, and a very, very thin layer of sheepskin. So you need to put something in between there that acts the same way as the flocked panels or foam panels in an English saddle. So that's what that's why you have to do that versus just toss something in there to collect sweat yeah your horse isn't going to be very happy with you if you just throw on the saddle by itself or without a really good shock absorbing material like wool is perfect it, it conforms to the horse's back and it'll get more compressed in areas where the saddle's closer to the horse and pad up areas where the saddle's further away i really love wool pads there we go so now you can make them pretty Yes, I've got like 4 billion patterns in mine, and that's probably what I'm going to be doing all winter. Um, so I've progressed from sweaters to saddle blankets until I get bored with that, and then I'll probably make mittens. I don't know yet. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, among other things, you also make training tips 
And this is the part of the show where we start out with a training tip. So first, what is our training tip and what inspired it? Okay, so my training tip this week or this month is raining tips as in the sport of raining for everyday riding. And um, I that popped into my head because I'm preparing to go to a horse show this weekend with Remington the Mustang. And one of the classes that was showing is raining. Now, a lot of my training background comes from the raining industry. And so there's an association, National Raining Horse Association. And if you're not familiar with the sport, it's a Western sport. And it's the hallmark maneuvers of the sport are the really cool and fancy sliding stop where the horse runs into the arena full speed. When the rider says, well, the horse like buries its butt in the ground and and slides to a stop and you've got fast spins and lead changes and it's a lot of really high powered maneuver maneuvers that um uh are supposed to be done they use the term willingly guided so the horse you know is doing all of this stuff with just the tiniest visible cues from the rider and uh, so I, I learned, um, I apprenticed for several reining trainers, and I learned a whole bunch about how to train and show a reining horse. And there's a lot of things that I still take from that to this day when I'm training any horse, whether it's going to be a dressage horse, a trail horse, whatever. Um, and so when I was training these horses to go in the reining pen, you you develop these cues to work with the horse. And again, you're trying to present this picture in front of the judge that this horse barely needs any guidance from me and he can do all these things beautifully. So the main tip that I took from that, that I use with all my horses is um, when it comes to using cues. Uh, So for any given maneuver, I actually have about four different cues for each maneuver. So if you take the stop, for instance, I don't just say, whoa, and I don't just pull on my horse's face. There's about four different things. And I teach my horse all of these cues separately and then in all sorts of different combinations. And the reason that I do that, obviously the the aesthetic reason is to create this beautiful picture of this horse that, you know, he's not gaping at the mouth and flipping his head upside down or running through the bridle. He's doing this really amazing stop, which is barely any cue or the appearance, barely the appearance of any cue. Um, And if you have four different ways to tell your horse to stop, then you're not relying too heavily on any one cue. You've got all these backups in place. Like if your horse is a little bit nervous and you say the word, whoa, and maybe he didn't hear, you've got three other backup cues to help him make it to that stop and still look really good doing it. And I think this is great info for any kind of riding because I think we tend to rely too heavily on one cue. Uh, But if you're giving your horse four different ways to listen and respond, you make them softer and more compliant all around. So for the stop, for instance, um, if I am loping my horse in a straight line and I want him to stop, uh, my cues and they'll be in this kind of order. The first thing I'll do is say the word, whoa, that's my vocal cue. Um, After that, I'm going to sit deep in the saddle and relax my seat. I just stop riding. So my seat goes from being very active to just completely relaxing. And and I just sit down deep into that saddle. So that's my second cue. My third cue is I'm going to take my legs off of the horse's side, not just not throw them off of the horse, but I'm going to go from telling my horse to run, 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 run with my legs where I'm pushing, 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 asking him to keep cantering, keep cantering, keep cantering. I'm going to stop my legs and take him off of his side a little bit, which lets him know it's time to stop. And then finally, the last cue that I use is my reins. And the reins, because I've given my horse three different pre-cues, like we're going to stop, we're going to stop, we're going to stop. They should be trying to stop before I even need to pick up the reins. So the reins at that point are more of a support. It's going to help soften the horse in the bridle. It's going to help lift his shoulders in that stop and just finish off the whole. 
And that applies universally across any maneuver that I teach. Um, so anytime I teach my horse how to start putting these together, um, I, I don't always do all four at once. So I will teach my horse. Maybe the first thing that I used to teach my horse to stop is my reins and I'll do it from a walk where I just walk around and I just I gently pick up my reins and I wait for him to stop his feet and soften. And if I want to train the reining stop, I actually put in a little backup and that'll help kind of accentuate. You need to sit down on your butt and lift your shoulders. So I'll do that over and over and over again until he can respond um, easily to the reins. And then I can start adding in my other cues. So I can start walking or trotting around, and then I'm going to relax my seat. Now, a lot of my horses figure out from ride one that if I stop riding and I relax my seat, you you can start slowing down and coming to a stop. But maybe the horse is a little bit more nervous or more energetic, and they when I relax my seat, they miss that cue. So I will ride around and just relax my seat and I'll count in my head one Mississippi, two Mississippi. If that horse doesn't listen and doesn't come to a stop, I'll just, okay, I'm going to pick up my reins and have you come to a stop. I don't punish him. I'm not going to like pull harder on him because he didn't stop. I'm just going to do this over and over and over again. Relax my seat, pick up the reins, relax my seat, pick up the reins. And I give him plenty of time to respond to that first cue. It's always very gentle. I do not want to scare him um, when it comes to the stop. I want him to crave it. I don't want him to get nervous and tense. So everything is just very easy, methodical, slow. Um, and one of those times that I relax my seat, he's it's going to click for him. He's going to go, oh, this means we're getting ready to stop. And then he'll come to a stop. And when he does that, I don't need to pick up on my reins. So I'll practice that over and over again until I can just walk, trot, and canter around and just simply stop riding and my horse should come to a stop. Um, and then I can start adding in those other cues and training on them. So I'll do the same thing with my legs. I actually, for a reining stop specifically, I will take my legs off and then I'll start this at the standstill. So I'll be sitting on my horse and then I'll just take my legs off of his side and use my reins to back him up a couple steps. And I'll do that over and over and over again. Take my legs off, back him up, take my legs off, back him up until I can take my legs off of his side and he starts the backup. Once he has that, then I can go and walk around and do the same thing. I'll, I'll go from a walk, take my legs off. He should come to a stop and start backing up. So I'll do that over and over again, where I'll walk, trot, canter around and just take my legs off of his sides. Um, and same thing with the word, whoa. Uh, with the word, whoa, I actually like to add in a change of direction. So I will walk my horse along and I'll maybe walk along the fence and I'll say the word, whoa. And if he's never heard that word before, he probably doesn't know what it means. So I'll say the word, whoa. and then. I will wait a moment and then turn him into the fence and go the other way. Easy peasy. I start this at the walk and then walk down the fence the other direction. And then I'll say, whoa, turn him and walk the other direction until pretty soon he knows every time I hear the word, whoa, we're getting ready to turn. And in order to turn, um, especially if I'm using the fence to turn, so I'm turning him into the rail in order the fence. He's got to sit down on his butt, lift his shoulders and swing that front end through. So that kind of helps build that really balanced stop that I'm looking for. So I'll do that over and over again. First the walk, then the trot, then the canter until every time I say, whoa, he sits down and begins that stop. Um, so now that I've got all four of those, I will again, practice different combinations of just using one cue or maybe two of those cues. And the finished product is I go from a canner, I say, whoa, sit down, relax, take my legs off, pick up my reins. And it all happens within a moment, but everything is very methodical, slow and soft. So even if you're not planning on going into the show pen or doing raining classes, you can use that idea for every single thing you teach your horse. I use it 
for steering, for picking up speed, for slowing down. Um, every, every maneuver that I do with my horse, I'm thinking of how can I make this very clear to him and give him lots of cues that tells him, Hey, we're going to do this next. So you need to start paying attention. Okay. So this always, I love your tips because they always make me think hard and I have more questions. Do you teach, let's say you're starting from scratch. You're not a remedial horse. This is a horse that is learning things for the first time. Do you wait until each of those cues is firmly established or are they being taught basic? What's the word I want to use? They're being taught at the same time. One day you're going to work on the hoe word. Another day you're going to work on taking your legs off to get that response. Are they being, are they being taught at the same time or do you only work on one at a time? Does that um, make sense? Yeah, I play around with it um, because each cue, learning each cue is going to help make the other cue sharper, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm not so rigid that I go, well, I can't work on getting him to stop off of my legs because he's not stopping perfectly off the reins yet. Um, you know, I get the idea established and then I'll start throwing in those other cues. Um, and, you know, maybe one day, like with Remington, I've noticed the last several shows that he's really not listening to my reins as much as he should. If uh, So I'll say, whoa, and I'll relax and take my legs off. And um, if I feel like I need to pick up on the reins, I noticed he was getting a little bracy on the reins and he would come to a stop, but it just wouldn't look really good. So that tells me, okay, the next next week when I go home from the show and I'm practicing, let's go back in there and really work on when I pick up on the reins, you need to soften and get back and listen. So I worked on the rain cues over and over and over again. And then the next week I may decide, you know, he's not really listening when I sit down and relax my seat. So I'm going to work on that this week. I'm just constantly tinkering around and getting each cue really good. And it's also working on myself. Um, I've noticed that when I go into the show pen, um, I tend to get really fast and a bit nervous and I'm not really giving him time to respond to each cue and thinking it through. Um, I'm going straight to the reins too quickly. So I need to work on, okay, you need to say, whoa, then you need to sit down and relax. And then you need to take your legs off. And then when you pick up your reins, give them time to respond. Um, so yeah, you don't have to have every cue perfect before working on the next one. Cause each one that you work on is going to help the other one get better. If that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. That makes sense. And that's, that's interesting. Then you can break that down by using is one of the aids or the other of these aids. Cause it's a little bit like in for folks who write English in dressage to turn left, you don't just pull your left rein. There's a whole bunch of things going on, uh, but it makes sense because then you can look back too and say, wait a minute, my left turn isn't working well. Which part of these aids am I not applying correctly? Or which one of these aids has my horse learned to ignore because I'm not applying them correctly. <laughs> um, yeah. Interesting stuff. Well, talk about interesting stuff and building up on, previous experience we're going to take a quick break here and we're going to hear from one of our important sponsors please do listen to this ad because without sponsors we can't do this show and when we come back we're going to take on our first listener question of the day some people don't think horses and people communicate we call those people not horse people not horse people don't know you and your horse share a unique bond or that your horse knows you know they like your dogs but not so much the barking. At Sentinel Horse Nutrition, we don't knock not horse people. We're too busy focusing on horse people's horses. With extruded nugget feeds for exceptional nutrition and formulas for every need, our wide choice of feeds makes it easy to find the fit for your horse's health. Find theirs at FeedSentinel.com. Our first listener of the question of today is from Laura, one of our auditors. And if you want to be able to submit a question to Mary's monthly training episode, you need to be an auditor. How do you become an auditor? You go to horsesinthemorning.com and you click on the auditor banner and auditors go to our Patreon page and they can sign up for a monthly Patreon as little as a couple of bucks a month. 
And then you get to be in our super secret Facebook page and ask questions of Mary, interact with other auditors. It's a great community. So you should do that today. But after you're done listening to the show, thank you very much. <laughs> so what is, and also, by the way, uh, Patreons help to support uh, Horse Radio Network programming. And a percentage of that goes back to our auditor, our our uh, hosts, like Mary. Woo. So, woohoo. So what's our first question for today? Okay, it is from Laura. And her question is, um, she has been working with a gelding in... Um, July, so I think it was at a clinic that I was at. She's working with a gelding that she may end up buying. His biggest issue is going backwards when he doesn't understand or isn't comfortable doing something. It's not fast, but he doesn't pay attention to where he's going. I'm able to pick up a rein and turn him out of it, but that can be sketchy on single track trails. Any suggestions? Ooh, that's a good one. It is a good so, one. Yeah. <laughs> So without seeing exactly what's going on and pin pinpointing, trying to pinpoint, okay, where is he trying to fly backwards? What is he getting confused about? Um, horses like this, I will um, start thinking about this kind of stuff in my groundwork with these horses. Um, they tend to want to fly backwards uh, with things like tying or if you're walking along and the lead rope gets tight, instead of coming along forward, they want to go backwards. Um, they, you know, so things like tying, loading into a trailer or going into like a wash bay, their first reaction is to get back, get back, get back. So I want to do some exercises on the ground first to teach him, hey, if you feel pressure and you feel some discomfort, you should come forward um, and soften and give to the pressure instead of bracing against it. Because typically if they're doing this under saddle, not always, um, and I don't know the skeleton in particular, but I, I would wager that if I were to walk up to him and just grab his lead rope a little too abruptly, he would go ah, and try to go backwards. So I want to start getting that brace out of him. And the ground is the safest place to do it and kind of assess what we're doing. Um, so one of the simplest ways to do that, uh, I like a nice long lead rope and I'll stand out in front of my horse and I'll start combing my hands along the lead rope. Just real light. I keep my my hands kind of open when I'm doing this. I'm not trying to put a death grip on the lead rope. And um, I'll just kind of comb my hands along the lead rope, giving a gentle tug. If he goes backwards, I go with him. You know, I'll just walk with him, but I'm still maintaining that light pressure on the lead rope. And I'm going to wait until he finally softens and comes forward a step. And then I'm going to release pressure. I could go up to him, rub on his face. I could give him a treat or just let him have a moment. Um, and I'll do that over and over and over again until when he feels that light pressure, he learns just come forward. So that's typically where I start. Um, other things that I'll do is I will teach him. Um, I will kind of uh, walk alongside him and put the same kind of pressure on the halter. And I might use the tail end of my lead rope or a flag or a stick to kind of help push him forward. So I'll pick up pressure on the lead rope and then use the flag to help him go forward. And we'll walk together. I like to stand at their shoulder when I'm doing this. So we'll, we'll just walk along. It's sort of like leading, but I have a little bit more distance between me and the horse. And the cue that I'm going to use to get him to come forward is I pick up on the lead rope with light pressure. And then I use my flag to help push them along. And then once they come forward, I release. So lots and lots of stuff like that. I'll practice sending them back and forth between me and, and an object. So I'll, uh, you know, I'll uh, stand back from the fence and ask the horse to go between me and the fence. And this creates a little bit of a pressure situation because that, you know, going between you and the fence can make them feel a little claustrophobic. So you're creating that kind of scenario where he might feel a little bit of pressure, but it's not so much that he's going to panic. So I'll pick up my lead rope and ask him to come forward and walk between me and the fence. And I'll use my flag or lead rope to help push him. So the cue is I pick up on the lead rope and put a little pressure on the halter. And then I follow through by driving from behind with something like a whip or a flag or the end of my lead rope. Just real light. I keep it very slow and easy and calm. 
So once he goes forward between me and the fence, I'm going to tip that lead rope up kind of toward the fence and ask him to yield his hindquarters away to where he's now on the other side of me and he's facing me, if that makes sense. And then I'll send him the other way. So I'll switch my hands on the lead rope, pick up the lead rope, put a little bit of pressure on his face, then ask him through with the uh, with the flag. And I'll, I'll do this just real, real gentle. I want this all to be real mellow and chill. And I'll keep doing this until I no longer really need the flag. I pick up on the lead rope and he goes, yes, I'm going to come forward. So if any of you have horses that pull back when tied, this is also what I do for that. It's usually coming from the same place, whether it's we're going down the trail and he gets confused and he wants to run backwards or he pulls back when he stands tied. It's usually all coming from the same place, the same kind of cause. That's just his way to escape. He feels trapped. He wants to run backwards to get out of it. So I need to be as clear as possible in letting him know if you give to pressure and you come forward, that's the best deal. So I'll do lots of exercises like that. Um, I will also do things. So with my colts that I'm training to ride for the first time, um, I want to give them an understanding of, hey, when I get up there, I'm going to use my legs to ask you to go forward. So I do something when they're saddled, but I'm working with them on the ground called stirrup driving. So I'll stand beside them and I will grab hold of the stirrup and you could do this English or Western saddle. And then I will lightly tap them in the belly with the stirrup. Um, until they go forward. So by now I've done a lot of exercises where the cue to come forward is the lead rope. So by the time I do the stirrup driving, the horse understands when she picks up on the lead rope, I need to be soft and go forward. So now I'm going to add in a new cue and use my lead rope as a backup. So I will tap them in the side with the stirrup and most horses are not going to know what that means. So I'll give them a light tap, tap, tap. If they don't do anything, then I'll pick up on my lead rope and ask them to come forward. And I'll do that over and over and over again. Tap on the side, ask them to come forward. Tap on the side, ask them to come forward. So that's an example of some of the ground stuff that I'll do with a horse. And a lot of times if I get those kinds of exercises working really, really well, then when I get on to ride, they already feel a lot calmer and relaxed and understanding that, hey, giving the pressure and going forward instead of bracing against it and pulling backwards is the way to go. Once I get in the saddle, um, I am going to really do my best to keep the reins on this horse nice and loose. And if their problem is going forward, I want to make sure that when I ask them to go, there's nothing standing in their way. Every horse, whether it's Western or English, needs to understand contact and needs to understand how to soften the bridle. But in the beginning stages or with a horse that has a problem or a hole in their training like this, um, I start with as loose a rein as possible. Um, I'll pick up on the reins if I need to and ask the horse to do whatever I need to do, but I'm always feeding the rein back to them. I want them to have a place to go when I ask them forward. If they are a very green horse or horse that's had some issue in the past and I'm trying to ask them to go forward into contact, it's way too confusing sometimes for them and way too scary. They feel like there's no place for them to go, so they run backwards. So horses like that, I do a lot of like really loose rein riding and make sure that their go button works really, really well, meaning with just a little leg, I can easily get them to walk, trot, and canter, and they flow into those gates without running forward or bracing. Then when they can do that easily, walk, trot, and canter on a loose rein, They've got good speed control. They're calm. They're relaxed. Now I can start thinking about, okay, let's start softening you in that bridle and, and getting more contact back. Ooh, cool stuff. Cool stuff. So I can contribute to this one because I've, I've dealt with this before. Um, and I came at it from a completely different direction, which is the fun part about horse training because there are so many avenues you can take. I whipped out the old R plus training technique. Because this horse, this particular horse responded really well to that type of training. It was something that really got his brain going and got him on my page. Um, because this particular horse, it was a remedial horse. He had issues. And 
I needed to get him on my page so that he wanted to work with me. He's like, ooh, let's do something versus, okay, I'll do it because you made you kind of, I'm going to use my air quotes, you made me do it. It was uncomfortable to not do it. So uncomfortable was so much part of his world. I wanted to try to find ways that we could work together that he wanted to do it because it created emotional comfort for him. So we got the old R plus out. And what I started to do was set up scenarios where going forward was mildly intimidating. Walk over a pole, to go forward over the pole, to go forward through a gate into an uh, a new space. Things that made him go forward. And when he did that, happily and willingly, the moment we got forward through whatever obstacle that was, there was an R-plus moment. There was a click and a treat or whatever I was using as my marker. And what that started to do over time, and I just made them constantly, always new things. And it didn't have to be big things, walking over a pole, walking forward in a circle around a tree. But anytime he had to listen to me and go forward when he was going, really, I want to be nappy. I did that. And after a while, he started to go, oh, is is that something I can go do that's a little bit intimidating? I want to go forward. And on the groundwork part of it, I actually, and I don't know if this is part of R plus or not, but I actually marked it, click, and rewarded, treat, while he was still moving forward. Because stop and back up was kind of a go-to, and we didn't really want that. And I was able to start to get him into that forward mindset. And it was a great starting point. I only worked with the horse for a little while and we got him to that starting point and then he went back to his owner and she continued. But I found it very, very useful. Yeah, I think that's a great way to make it uh, more enticing for them to want to go forward. And things like on the R plus side, but like the target training is really great for that. Um, one of the things I'm training a Mustang Dougal right now, he's going to be in a veterans program and, oh my God, I love this horse so much. Um, but Dougal is very quiet. Uh, I think he's heavily draft influenced and he doesn't want to go forward just because he doesn't see the need to burn any calories. Um, and I have like done jumping jacks, waving a tarp around, like, please trot. And he just looks at me like, No. And so (laughs) with him, it was not a fear issue. He just did. He wasn't compelled to do it. And he's just big, massive, like quiet, plotty Mustang. And I felt like I was really pressuring him way too much. And I was going to have to use an uncomfortable amount of pressure to compel him to go. Like I could not get him to trot. Um, You know, it was a miracle. We got walking. So even though his problem isn't running backwards out of fear, I still felt like, okay, I don't want to punish you into going forward. I want you to want to go forward. Um, So I got these poles that have a little stand and I don't know what they're actually used for. Um, They're these little plasticky poles, but um, that, you know, just plop them on the ground and they stick up and I, taught him to target them. And then I put them all over the arena and just like let him explore. And anytime he went forward and went and touched a pole, I was like, that's brilliant. And so then he was just like, anytime he'd see a pole, he's like, I'm going to go over there and touch it. So I could use that in conjunction with using my legs and stuff and encouraging him to go forward. And it made, I see. Okay. That makes sense. You were using your age to move forward, but he was, motivated to to be on your page like oh yeah i can go a little faster because he knew at the end it's like oh what i but what i get there i'm gonna get something that's in it for me oh brilliant yes and you can do this with r plus training plus r blah 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 um i can't remember which way r plus that's what it is (laughs) um you can do that with r plus and you know set up like cones or poles or obstacles and click and treat 
Um, if you don't feel comfortable with the clicking and treating, this works the same if you, um, I used to do this with colts that were out of the round pen. So they were used to moving in a small circle, but they didn't really know how to move out. So I would pick a post in my arena or a tree in my pasture and I'd trot to it and just point their nose right at it. And once they got there, they got to sit and relax for, you know, I'd sit there for 30 seconds and and just let them chill out. And then I turn and go somewhere else. So having that nice little break as well can help build their confidence. We actually do this with reining horses um, in order to get them to do a sliding stop. They need to be loping straight and forward. So you um, lope them back and to each end of the arena. And every time they get to the end of the arena, they get to sit and stand and relax. Adding a reward to it, of course, is going to be very effective. But even if it's just hey, we're going to sit here for a second, or I'm going to play on my phone while you sit and chill out. It gives them some enticement to, oh, once I make it there, I just get to have a little break. There we go. Once again, great ideas on Mary Kitts Miller's show. We're going to take a quick break from one of our important sponsors. And we come back, we're going to hear a question from Nicole. Words and Rider On Demand allows you to train smarter, not harder. Our training video collection featuring some of the industry's top Western professionals like Bud Lyon, Cody Crow, Ryan Rushing, and more can help you perfect your horsemanship and improve your performance in the arena. Get access to hundreds of videos and learn more about events like ranch horse versatility, reining, working cow horse, ranch riding, and more for just $14.99 a month. Watch anywhere, anytime. Horse and Rider On Demand can be streamed from any smart device. Visit ondemand.horseandrider.com to start your seven-day free trial. That's ondemand.horseandrider.com. All right, Nicole is up next. It's a short question, but it's going to be interesting. Nicole's question is how to address pawing when tied? Question mark. Um, so that is, yeah, short question, but... It could have a, a very long answer, which I, I tend to like long-winded answers. That's my <laughs> deal. But <laughs> I want to make sure they get all the information. Um, so pawing when tied, for the most part, um, I can eliminate pawing when tied by practicing it a lot. And I don't, I'm not of the school of let them paw it out and they'll, you know, leave them tied all day and they'll stop doing it eventually. Do I want my horse to eventually get the mental stamina to stand tied all day? Yes, because you never know when I'm going to need that. Um, I recently had a horse at the vet and she had to stand in the stocks for a very prolonged period and have all sorts of stuff done to her. You know, they need that kind of mental stamina to be able to do that, especially if I'm going to haul out and go to a show. I've seen some horrific accidents of horses that couldn't stand, you know, handle being tied to trailers. So I do want to get that that to that point where that horse can stand tied for hours and be totally fine. Um, but I am going to build up to that point. So I find that a lot of people that tend to have issues with tying, they don't really tie their horse a whole lot at all. And then when they need their horse to stand tied, we have the pawing. Or sometimes we get a horse that has this problem already. In in some cases, it just happens and you know we have to deal with it as it comes. But so I am when I have a horse in training, I will start introducing tying sessions to them at the end of my groundwork or riding session. Um, I have another Mustang in training right now that she gets really antsy when tied. And so um, I bring her in, brush her off, do my groundwork riding session with her. And I started out by tying her for five minutes at the end of the ride. So she's already, you know, she's, we've, we've um, already worked. She's probably a little tired. She's calm because we've done our session. She's not as nervous or upset as she might be at the very beginning. So I do my tying sessions at the end. And I do five minutes. And when I start those tying sessions, I don't care too much about what she does in those five minutes. Um, I use a safety tie. Um, so I'm not too worried about her hurting herself or anything like that. Um, and she might call out to her friends in the pasture. She might pace a little bit. She might paw a little bit. 
I keep the tying session pretty short. I don't hold anything against her. I will try to untie her in a moment of her standing and being calm. It might just be a few seconds and I'll, I usually, when I do this, I, it's my break too. So I have pedestals in my arena and I'll go sit on my pedestal and, um, and play on my phone. And when I notice the moment of the horse being calm, I'll stand up, go on tire, turn around. And that's where I start. And I start doing that every day and I'll tack on more and more minutes of them standing tied. Um, and once she can stand tied for, you know, 20, 30 minutes and she's okay, I can start uh, doing it, uh, adding the tying to the beginning of the rise. So I may, maybe I'll start bringing her up and tying her up and then I'll go work another horse and then she'll have her session and then I'll also tie her at the end. So that's how I start. It's just a few minutes at a time and then add more and more time as we go um, until she can stand tied longer and longer. Sometimes when this happens, pawing does come up. Uh, again, I don't do, I don't address it um, in the very beginning where I tie my horses. It is very safe. The ground is soft. I'm not too worried about them pawing. Um I just, I always try to make sure I untie them when they're being calm. Um, so for most of my horses, that is enough to not really have them paw and to have them stand and be solid citizens. The mare I'm working with now, she will stand for an hour or two. She has no problems. Whereas at the very beginning, there's no way I could have tied her for an hour and not have her be very upset when I went to untie her. Um, however, I have had a horse or two that picked up the habit of pawing or they came to me with the habit of pawing and it is just solidly ingrained in their head. Um, one horse in particular was one of my road to the horse colts. His name was Pal. He's this big, gangly, cool Palomino. Um, but he just had this huge personality and he was always into everything all the time. And even though I tried my best to teach him to try to tie properly, he still developed a very, like, as soon as I tied him up, he would just paw and paw and paw and paw with a horse like that. Um, in Pal's case, what I felt I needed to do was interrupt that kind of mental rut that he was digging. So uh -huh, what I pun, pun mental rut. He was digging. Ha uh ha. -huh. Sorry, couldn't resist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that took me a minute. <laughs> yes, mental and actual, literal rut. Um, so, yeah, he was just kind of in this vicious cycle of he wasn't even using his brain. I Just as soon as I would time, he just start pawing. So what I actually did with him is I went through the process of teaching him to hobble train. Now, what I'm not saying is that I just slapped a pair of hobbles on him and said, good luck with that. That would not have been a good idea. I started incorporating hobble training into my training sessions. So that's a whole lengthy process that I, that I used where I taught him to handle ropes around his legs. I taught him to lead with his legs. I started using hobbles for a few minutes at a time, not tied up out in the middle of my arena where I could watch him. Um, and that in and of itself is really good for getting them to start thinking and using that, you know, that thinking part of their brain. Um, so I went through the whole hobble training process and I got to where he could stand just like with regular tying where he could stand for a long time in the hobbles. And then once we had that established, you know what hobbles are, you know how to behave in hobbles. Then anytime I would tie that horse up, I don't care if it was for five minutes when I was brushing him off to saddle him, he got the hobbles on. And I did that for many tying session. If you get tied up, you have hobbles on. Um, and that completely nipped it in the bud. He never had a problem after that. Um, so that was kind of not as common a case as I've had before because, um, you know, it was just something that he developed. I don't know, you know, there's probably a way I could have prevented it that I, you know, that I wasn't aware of at the time. But in any case, we got to that point where he just would turn off his brain and start pawing every time I tie. Um, so that's what I had to do with him. But in any case, it's about practicing it a lot lots of repetition and starting uh, at a point that they can handle and then building from there. Interesting stuff. And once again, slightly different 
point uh, attack mode. Um, now, none of these horse, the, the horse that in question was not what I would call a chronic par. He would stand there for a while and then he would start to fuss and then he would paw and then he'd take a break. Then he'd paw and then he'd take a break. But it was just the the irritating kind of pawing that you just get frustrated by. And I found that teaching him to ground tie Ooh, yeah. made all the difference. Now, he was ground tying in the aisle way where the cross ties are. It was in the same place. But for whatever reason, he was much less fussy when ground tied versus tied tied. And then what I started to do is once he got pretty darn good at being ground tied, I put one cross tie on. And if he started to fuss, he had to take the cross tie off and we had to back halfway around the aisleway. And then we'd come back and we'd ground tie for a minute. Then I'd put the cross tie back on. And most horses think of, I think it's subconscious in my opinion, backing up seems to be like, well, what do you mean I have to back up? Even if they're doing it because you just asked them to, because the horse would just back up on a command. I'd say back, he would back up. And then I'd go, and it seemed to click in his little head that, oh, if I just stand here, it's cool. But if I paw, it, it, I have to back around the aisleway, and that's no fun. I want to stand here and watch what's going on. And eventually, he got to the point where he could stand on the cross ties and be much, much less fussy. But it was over, I would say, a six-month period of time till we got to the point where two cross ties could go on. But I'm gonna cap, I'm gonna balance this with he was not a chronic par. He was not digging a hole to China. He was just fussy. So that's a very interesting method. But again, for a horse that is a chronic confirmed par, this is going to be, to get him to that point, that's going to be a long period of time. He's not going to learn this in two weeks, is he? No, this is definitely something that's going to be a program. It's it's like if I want, it, it's going to be a marathon. You know, um, if I wanted to train for a marathon, I know that I can't just do, uh, you know, three times a week, 20 minutes on the treadmill and be good to go. I've got to, you know, <laughs> find a starting point and really get at it. And it's going to take me a long time to get in that condition. And that's what you're doing with the horse mentally for things like this. If if it's a really deeply ingrained habit, and that's why like with the hobble training, that's something that um, I train every horse to stay, you know, to stand with hobbles. But um you know, in, in some cases, something like that, where you're just interrupting their normal habits and thought processes, and you've got to really be on it and you've got to really work on it. I think tying is as important an exercise as anything else you teach your horse, and it should be practiced just as much. Um, and I like the, I like the idea of ground tying because you're doing the same kinds of things. You're teaching them to stand and wait and be patient. And once you start giving, teaching them how to have that fortitude, then other things start to work for you. Um, there's a game I love to play, and I think I've talked about it on here before. It's something that I borrowed from uh, Alex Curlin, who's a really amazing clicker training uh, clicker trainer. Um, but it's a way that I can build duration in a behavior. And I actually used it for the ground tie, um, with my horse Guthrie, I wanted to have a really solid ground tie. And, um, so I gave him the cue to stand still and then I would walk around him and count my steps. And in the beginning I thought, well, I can only probably walk five steps before he wants to move. So I go one, two, three, four, five. And if he stood still click treat. So then I'd go one, two, three, four, five, six. And if he stood still, I'd click and treat. And I would do that. And my goal was to get to 300 um, because that's a really long time if they can stand while I count to 300. Um, I don't think I ever made it to 300. I got to like 189. But by then, that horse's ground tie was solid. And I did it by just you know, finding a good starting point and then adding to it every day and rewarding every time he hit a goal. Um, so yeah, I love the idea of, of teaching a really good ground tie um, to make your horses tying all around just better. There you go. And 
We got another question coming up next from, looks like, Gwen. And we're going to do that right after we take a break to hear from one of our important sponsors. Especially with performance horses, flies can really be a nuisance. Fly predators are a great investment of all the different poisons and insecticides and different things you could use. I don't know of anything that is more economical and more effective than spalding fly predators. Who's our next question from, Mary? We have one from Gwen, and her question is, what are some things to try and work on when your horse is too old to work or they're just a little off? My guy is a little off on one leg and is also healing with some hoof issues. Um, I feel kind of bad for doing nothing, but I'm not sure what I should do that will be easy for him to keep his mind active. I expect he'll retire in a few years too. So I've been thinking about this a lot for future planning. That is a terrific question. And there's a ton of things you can do with your horse if maybe they're not entirely sound or they're retired. Um, you're just trying to, you know, keep them sane, um, you know, especially if they have to be on stall rest or just very minimal work. Um, so a horse like this, I think clicker training would be a really, really fun thing to do with them. Um, you can do this, like if, if their ailment, maybe they've got laminitis or something like this, you can find treats that are low starch, um, that aren't really going to upset them. Uh, I actually like to use Timothy pellets as my treat because I don't want something that's too amazingly delicious because it makes them like really antsy. Um, so Timothy pellets are just a little bit more bland than your typical treat, but they still really like working for them. And I, I feed like one pellet as my treat. Um, so you can, you know, you can really make those stretch. So there's a lot of stuff you can do with clicker training that I think would be really great for a horse that, you know, can't really move around a lot. Um, so things like teaching him to target something. So I've got a little ball at the end of a stick and I teach my horse to touch his nose to it. And that's really useful for things like leading, or I can use it to get my horse's head to go high or make his head go low or left and right. Um, so target training would be really fun to teach with that horse. Um, I like to do an exercise where I'm just going to stand beside you quietly and you should also stand beside me quietly. Um, and that's an exercise I use in the beginning, especially with clicker horses to teach them, hey, we both know that I have a bag of treats on me. Um, you are not going to ruffle through my pockets and try to get treats from me. You're going to stand nice and straight. So it's like a really stationary, it seems like a boring exercise, but it's actually one of my favorites to work on. Um, so uh, that's another one that I do. Um, you can build that into other exercises. So when I start this in the beginning, I just want my horse to keep their head straight, but I can start adding things to it. Like, why don't you keep your head straight and both of your ears forward? Um, or why don't you keep your head straight, but lift your chin a little bit and start working on collection. So you can do that with things like targeting where you teach them to actually collect at a standstill. And it's super cool. Um, I start with like their head and neck. So I teach them how to lift their head and kind of soften into an imaginary bridle. And I can click and treat stuff like that. I can actually build from there and get them to from a standstill rock back and put all their weight over their hocks and lift their back. Um, so that's another thing that you can do. You can teach your horse. Um, you can teach your horse to ground tie. You can teach him to flex their head left and right. I teach my horse to back up nice and soft. Um, I will, you can teach your horse how to tell these. I'm just throwing random ideas out there. Um, you can teach your horse how to tell things apart that are different colors. Um, one thing that I've been wanting to try is those little talk buttons with uh, that people are doing with their dogs. And I've seen a few people doing it with That's horses. Brilliant! I know. Um, I've seen people use clicker training to teach their horse how to play a piano or, you know, something like that. Um, what else is there? Uh, Guthrie, my horse, he's got navicular. So uh, things that I did with him because he could move a little, but you know, didn't want to really do a lot of trotting or anything like that. I taught him to come pick me up off the mounting block. So maybe it's a horse you're going to ride in the future. 
but you're not ready to ride yet. Well, you can teach him to go from a stationary target. So I have a little rubber mat on the ground that he knows to stand on. That's where he ground ties. And then I go stand on the mounting block and I whistle and he comes to me and side passes to the mounting block. And then I give him a click and treat. So that's another one you could do. Um, what else is there? Something so I did, something I did with a horse once that, and the reason we did it is because he was afraid of his own shadow, shadow, literally. Uh, but this is, I find this entertaining and I do it sometimes with Scooter because when Scooter lives in a dry lot, he gets a little bored. I would just take random objects that are not going to hurt him if he interacts with him. Cones, rubber balls, um, empty buckets that have no handles, stuff like that. And I would put something that he wanted under them. So he had to investigate them and oh, move okay. them in order to get food. And it might be quite literally three hay pellets, but he's motivated. He's on a dry lot. And he would just wander around all day long moving these things because even after he moved them, he would go, well, maybe there's more. And occasionally one of those objects would be something that if he moved it more than once, something would fall out of it, like the little treat dispensers. But I would just move stuff around and every day it would be somewhere different. I'd have half a dozen over there. Um, and another thing you can do is create a track paddock type of scenario where the horse is motivated through rewarding himself to move around and investigate his surroundings. That can be useful, too, when you don't have the time or ability to be working with them, just to add interest to their life. Yes, there's a lot of good information out there on track systems and just providing enrichment and off of that, you can teach him to roll a ball. You can teach him to pick stuff up and hand it to you. You can teach him to nod yes and no. Um, you can do, if you feel comfortable doing like a light pedestal work. So there's a lot of like stationary tricks and stuff you could also work in there. Um, but yeah, I love the idea of making their environment more interesting. You can get those little balls that you stuff the hay in and they've got to roll it around to, to get, you know, it's kind of like they're grazing. So maybe you can't have them on pasture, but they can still get mimic that and get the same good chemicals in their brain going. Yep. Great stuff. Yay. Us. Yay. Yay us. Do we have time for one more? I think so. Sure. Let's, let's, um, uh, which one do you want to do? Oh man. Uh, so we've got the trailer one. We've got sensitive to the saddle. Mm. Um, yeah, let's do the saddle one. Okay. So we have Jessica. Any tips for a sensitive mare that has bad associations with saddling while standing tied in the hall outside the tack room? Um, there isn't a safe place to tie and saddle that's anywhere near where my tack is stored. Narrow halls with people going through occasionally adds to the tension. If I need to avoid this area, I would, but it would be really convenient long-term if we could tack up next to the tack room. She mostly stands quietly but gets tense, uh, remembering pain from previous ulcers when the cinch is pulled up until she finally takes a calming breath and she's a bit of a time bomb for some random things to startle her. So, um, again, without meeting this horse and finding exactly what is causing this, what kind of trauma may have caused this or ulcers or, or whatever, if this horse was dropped on my doorstep for training, um, I would start all over with her um, and because I think for her, there's so many things going on in that environment with the tack room and it's just, it's too much. It's overwhelming for her. So uh, yeah, I'd start back at square one. So with most horses I get in training, I do not tie them up to saddle them because I've had people say, Oh, he's an angel. And then the horse explodes with a saddle. And then I talk to them on the phone later, like, Oh, your horse is bucking pretty hard. And they're like, Oh yeah, he does that. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, he does that. I do not want a bad accident because I didn't know that a horse wasn't equipped to do something. So with any horse I get in training, and especially with a horse that is learning these things for the first time, I saddle in the middle of my arena, not tied. I have a long lead rope that I drape over my elbow as I'm saddling. If the horse cannot even stand still for that, I will not be tying him up. And I especially 
won't be tying them up in a narrow barn aisle. I have had that happen once um, years ago at a training barn I was in with a cult that I had been saddling in the barn aisle, been doing really good. Um, but he'd only been saddled maybe 10 times. And then I went away for a weekend and came back and thinking, oh, he's going to be perfect. And yeah, um, he actually fell into the tack room. Everything was fine. No one got hurt, but it taught me a very valuable lesson on not assuming anything. Um, so I would, uh, all of my horses, I saddle in the middle of the arena on a lead rope. And yep, that's very inconvenient. I have to drag my saddle out there. I have to put it in the dirt and get it all dirty. Um, but it's, it's got to be done. That's what I have to do. Um, so I saddle in the middle of the arena. And I do that until I have no problems with that. To where I could practically drop the lead rope on the ground, saddle my horse, do up all the cinches. They won't, they won't move. It's fine. Once I have that and I can confidently do that, then I'm going to start thinking about adding the tying back into the scenario or introducing it if the horse has never done this before. So instead of tying them up to saddle, I will saddle them in the middle of the arena like I normally do, do my groundwork and riding session, and then I will take them to the tie and tie them up to unsaddle them. So um, I, if, if, this, if you have the setup for this I, and you're like, oh, I don't think we're ready to go into the barn aisle to unsaddle next to the tack room, um, tie them or, or mock tie them on your arena wall. So you're just adding a little bit of pressure to the situation without hopefully overwhelming them. They've already had their work session. They're tired. They've relaxed. They've, you know, they're not tense with the girth anymore. So I can start tying them to unsaddle and I'll do that until there's no issue. And then I will bring them in and start tying them to saddle. Now, I, I don't like cross ties. I use a clip safety tie. So let's say I do up the girth and they freak out and want to flip over or whatever. That tie is going to give rope so that doesn't happen. Um, so I'll start tying them up to saddle them. After I've done several sessions in the arena and several sessions where I tied them up to unsaddle, then I'll start thinking about, okay, now I'm going to tie you up to saddle. Um, and once I can do that several times in a row with no issues, now I can start thinking about, um, tying or untying you in the barn aisle. In fact, what I would do with that horse, it, I don't have a barn aisle, but if I did, um, I would, uh, probably work them in the arena, take them down to the aisle next to the tack room and unsaddle them while holding them. And just, you know, tack a new thing on one thing at a time. So then I'll start saddling them and unsaddling them in the barn aisle without being tied. Um, and then I can start kind of like you were talking with Scooter with the cross ties and just that kind of process um, of, okay, let's add a new thing on every day. So the final thing that I would add to what I would probably do with this horse, um, I've had a few horses in training, whether it be from ulcers or trauma or whatever, where as soon as you tighten that lead, that cinch, they get really tense and act like they're going to explode. So in addition to all of this with the saddling and unsaddling, I would do some exercises with this horse on the ground in the arena with the lead rope where I'll wrap a lead rope around their belly where the girth goes and I'll pull it just a little snug. If they want to move around, as long as it's reasonable, I'm going to stay at their shoulder, keep that snugness in the lead rope, you know, keep their nose tipped toward me so they don't run forward or whatever. And I'm going to wait until they stop their feet and they take a breath. And then I'm going to loosen that lead rope. And I'm going to do that over and over and over until I can wrap that lead rope around their belly and snug it up just as tight as I would the saddle. Um, and they don't do anything. So that's, so that's a way that you can help kind of teach him to relax into that girth without having the danger of being in the barn aisle. Yeah, that's, I, I, yeah, I'm definitely on the same page as you are in that start from square one, because there were things that were skipped and there were thing there were, there were cues and associations, cues that were poisoned associations made just start from a clean slate slate, the very beginning, pretend she's never had a saddle on. That's, that's great. I think, and we have the theme today. This happens sometimes. We didn't intend to have a theme. Incremental learning. Everything we talked about today had to happen in small increments. 
Yes. And this is something that really, that where the clicker training really opened my mind. I mean, you talk to any horse trainer and they'll say, break it down, make it easy. And we, we all pretty much have that understanding. Um, and clicker training takes that and takes it to a more minute level and it's called micro shaping. And it, you know, the philosophy there is if the horse doesn't understand, break it down. If they don't understand, break it down again and then again and then again. And you would be surprised at how like you can take a behavior and slice it into these teeny tiny paper thin slivers. It feels tedious and like it's going to take forever, but it really won't. Um, with my horse that I'm training to ride, um, he doesn't like to really sit still when I get on him. And I've done a lot of, I'm going to stand next to, he knows how to come get me off the mounting block. I'm going to stand next to you on the mounting block. And then I'm going to put my hand on the saddle. And if he moves for any of these, I break it down. So I stand next to him on the mounting in the stirrup, click and treat. Now I'm going to stand next to you on the mounting block, put my hand on the saddle, put my foot in the stirrup, put weight in the stirrup. And I just, I've broken it down over and over and over again. And, um, and it's really this super solid behavior. And you could do that with anything. There you go. Well, we're going to, we're, we're starting to lose Mary's signal because that's what happens when her neighbors wake up and start to stream Netflix. Yes. <laughs> so for <laughs> folks who want to appropriately stalk you online, have you trained their horse, hire you for a clinic or buy a knitted saddle pad, where do they find you? You can find me on Facebook, Mary Kitzmiller Horsemanship, or my personal page, Mary Kate Kitzmiller, and uh, that's probably the best place. There we go. And you can follow Horses in the Morning on social media. It's Horse Radio on Twitter, and on the, the web, it's just plain old Horses in the Morning. And Equine Network, we are part of the Equine Network family, has thousands, quite literally thousands, of engaging and entertaining horse oriented podcasts if you go to horse radio network you're going to find all of them there go check them out and to subscribe to the ones you think are awesome and we will see you again next month mary all right see you then